you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chilling tales for dark nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about tortured townships and macabre miracles. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Kyle Harrison and Nick Carlson are voice talents Jesse Cornett, Melissa Exelberth, Jordan Lester, Melissa Medina, Heather Thomas, Nick Goroff, and me. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Kyle Harrison and is performed by Jesse Cornett, Melissa Exelberth, and myself. Without further ado, I present to you the town that dreaded snowfall. I was headed toward the airport to catch a flight, driving down a country road that my GPS claimed would serve as a shortcut when my luck officially ran out. A sudden flat tire caused me to swerve off the road, slamming my rental car into the side of a tree. The airbags promptly deployed and made me fall unconscious. By the time I woke, I realized I had missed my flight, and cell phone service was shit, preventing me from being able to contact the airlines and make an adjustment. So there I was, miles from where I was supposed to be, without even a spare or a phone to call for. And there wasn't another vehicle to be seen on that dark highway. I was alone, and with no option but to walk. So that's what I decided to do. My head still felt numb from the impact and my body was hurting so I wasn't sure I could make it far. But 
I was sure I had just passed by a crossroads that marked a small rest stop of some sort, so I aimed for that direction. After about ten minutes of walking, I saw the sign and realized it was actually a mile marker for a township in the area. A place called St. Lepaldi. It didn't sound familiar, but I figured my best option would be to head in that direction before I lost consciousness. The night seemed darker on this highway, and I felt tired, resting on the side of the road near a ditch as I felt the temperature begin to drop. The weather report had claimed the evening would be pleasant, but to be honest, so far, it felt like one long headache. And before I knew what was happening, though, it became a nightmare. I heard this strange bellow coming from the nearby ditch, and it made my hair stand up on end. It sounded like a mixture between a cat and a wolf, and maybe an owl. I stood up and looked toward the gully, trying to see if there was a wild animal somewhere nearby. The whole area seemed still and deserted, almost devoid of life. As I stood there, a chill filled the air, and I heard the noise again. This time, I used my smartphone to peer into the ditch and get a better look. There was definitely something there. Some small creature that was crawling along in the mud. But it didn't look like any beast I was familiar with. As I shone the light on it, it turned its head toward me and I nearly dropped my phone. Its eyes, they looked human. In that unexpected moment, I scrambled away and moved toward the road, <laughs> uncertain I was safe there anymore. Whatever this thing was, I resolved to steer clear of the side roads for the rest of the journey. But each few feet I moved, I swore I heard the creature follow making its ominous, guttural noises as it crawled along. I felt its eyes were on me as I started to run down the street, desperate to get away from the unnerving thing. I wasn't sure if it was demented individual or some kind of monster, but the thing moved at inhuman speed, even as I spotted a farmhouse on the side of the road and started to dash toward it. Someone inside could surely help. I rushed to the doors, trying to make as much noise as I could, but the occupants must have been out for the night because nothing I did was stirring them. Quickly I decided to hide in the barn instead, hunkering down and watching as the shaggy creature approached. I could feel my entire body shivering as I caught a better glimpse of it. This hunched-over form sneaking into the shed and watching as it crawled toward one of the cows. Before I knew what was happening, the creature attacked it, grabbing a hold of the bovine and tackling it to the ground. The large animal tried its best to fight, but before long the diminutive monster had somehow managed to turn it over entirely with its legs up and the confused farm animal moaning as I listened to the strange little creature begin to feast. It sounded like it was killing the cow, but I dared not move for fear I would be next. The crunching and grinding of the creature kept going for at least an hour as I hunkered down. Finally, satisfied and full of meat and milk, the shaggy, short cryptid crawled away, leaving me to hide in the hay bales. Truth be told, I was so terrified by what had happened to the cow I wasn't sure I felt safe to go anywhere, and I was also too exhausted, so I tried my best to go rest in the smelly barn. It was better than whatever nightmares awaited me in the snow beyond. Somehow, I managed to fall asleep, perhaps from the shock and the terror I had experienced, but in the morning, my dilemma only worsened. 
I felt something nudge me on my backside and groggily awoke sometime after sunrise, staring up to see a dark-haired farmhand holding a sawed-off shotgun in my face. Instinctively, I raised my hands in defense, showing the worker I meant no harm, and they ordered me on my feet with a few harsh words I couldn't make out. It didn't sound like a language I was familiar with. Then, they pointed their weapon toward the farmhouse, saying a few more strange things that I couldn't understand. But I got the impression they wanted me to head inside. I obeyed immediately, my body too sore and tired from the night before to argue. Hopefully, whatever creatures were lurking about would not still be here in the daylight, I thought to myself. As I crossed the yard toward the house, the unease I felt began to go away when I heard children laughing and saw normal people on the front porch. Well, I say normal, but truth be told, I could immediately gather that these folks were quaint, perhaps similar to Amish or Quakers in their quiet lifestyle. The children dispersed when they saw me, and the housewife went to go get her husband. I stood, awkwardly, there in the front yard for what felt like eternity, until they both returned. He was a well-dressed man in overalls, with a brim hat and a long, scraggly beard. In typical attire for the two faiths I assumed he identified with, but I didn't want to jump to any conclusions until I had the full story. You lost, son? He asked me. Before I even had a chance to respond, he raised his hand for me to come inside and offered. The wife just finished making us porridge for breakfast. Come sit a spell and tell us how you came to our little town. As I ate the warm food, I recounted my tale to the couple although I left out the parts where I had seen the strange creature that had attacked their cattle. I didn't want to seem insane, and I wasn't sure if the experience I'd had was actually even real. They sat and listened quietly, the husband running his fingers through his beard thoughtfully as I concluded the story. You're lucky that you found us. Winter comes quick around these parts, and it's harsh and cold. Any day now, the ground will be covered with snow and travel will be um, impossible. But you can stay with us as, as long as you like. We have plenty of room and it wouldn't be very neighborly of us to send you away. He declared. The wife was nodding and bobbing her head in agreement as I checked my phone. Of course, there was no reception way out here. I shouldn't have been surprised. For all I knew, because of missing my flight, I had likely wound up losing that job. So, a vacation in the sticks wasn't exactly on the agenda, but I figured it was better than drowning my sorrows in liquor back home. As we finished the meal, the couple instructed me to leave my bowl on the floor of the breakfast room, which I found a bit odd but I did as they told me to before I was shown the guest room. The wife rattled off a few rules, such as no food in the bed and no candles burning at night. I figured they were just customs that related to tradition of their faith, so I told her I would try my best to remember. As I settled in, I looked out the window and saw, just as they predicted, winter clouds forming over their farmland fast. Soon, it began to snow ever so gently, and I saw the two of them out in the front yard, apparently having an argument. As I watched, the husband and wife became more heated with one another until, at last, he announced he was going to town for a drink after smacking her across the face. Somehow, despite the obvious patriarchal system I had seen so far, the act surprised me. This picture-perfect little slice of heaven seemed to have cracks after all, I thought. 
I also was certain I saw another shadowy, shaggy monster dragging a lamb off into the nearby woods. The poor, tiny animal bleeding as the wife watched it happen impassively. Her face told me I wasn't simply seeing things. Whatever this strange troll was, it was real. I kept myself as busy as I could the remainder of the day, offering to help with chores and do anything that would keep my mind off of the strange things happening around the area. But as the day lingered on, I saw more evidence something terrible and unnatural was occurring in this small town. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I was helping put the dishes away for the midday meal when I grabbed a plate with some leftover chicken to throw it away, and the wife stopped me short. You mustn't bother it, she whispered. Her eyes were filled with fear as I lingered near the trash can. I hadn't spoken about the creatures to her yet, and I could tell that she wasn't likely to tell me much. But still, I felt the need to get answers. There, there is something living in these woods. I've seen it, I said, as I placed the plate back down. Her eyes twitched, and she looked away. I must prepare for Jonah to return home. Much work to be done. She answered as she flitted away to another room. Outside, I saw the snow was falling more rapidly now, covering up the roads. But I could see strange footprints out there, moving about the farmland. Evidence of the creature that seemed to be using this area to their heart's content, unhindered by any person. I saw one of them enter the kitchen soon after this thought crossed my mind. It moved like lightning to the leftovers the farm wife had given out. It chomped and licked at the pan, its wild eyes glaring up at me, daring me to stop them. I could see from their snarled and broken teeth that the creature was ravenous for food. It looked like it wanted to rip me limb from limb. I reached for a knife to defend myself, only for the wife to grab my wrist and pull me back into the hallway. We mustn't disturb them, she whispered, repeating the instructions as I saw something long and skinny crawl from one of the cabinets. This one looked even more malnourished than the other, its lanky form hardly able to pull its body across the floor. The other creature began to snarl, protecting the leftovers as best as it could. And I watched in disbelief as the two monsters fought, biting and snapping at one another, ripping the flesh off of their scrawny bodies. Perhaps 
What was more frightening about them was how much like children they looked. Naked and starving children that had turned animalistic. The wife kept me still until they had left into the cold, and I dropped the knife, my heart beating wildly. What in the hell are those things? I shouted to her, but she was too petrified in fear to say a word and insisted we wait for her husband to return. When Jonah made it back to the house that night, the dark clouds covered the sky, but the ground was illuminated by the snowfall. We heard the other trolls moving about in the land, attacking animals and neighbors just the same up until he made it into the house. As we ate just a little bit of porridge and yogurt, the rest of their food pantry was barren and dry. I felt the need to break the ice on the conversation. How long have you been dealing with these demons? I asked. My stomach was growling for lack of food, and I knew why. This entire town was living in fear of those creatures, letting them run amok. The husband drew in his breath and put his bowl on the ground. Just as I had finished talking, we heard loud roars against the doors, slamming and opening them over and over again, making everyone on edge as I saw several of the trolls crawl into the kitchen to steal what little food we had left. As the demons took our dinner away, the husband explained the situation as best he could. They come when the snow hits the ground. There are at least a dozen of them. Some speculate perhaps there are more out there in the woods, but they take what they want, and in exchange, let us live. He whispered solemnly, even as one of the ghastly creatures licked pudding and yogurt right off his beard. He did his best not to flinch. We protect our young ones by abiding by their rules. Keep others from being attacked or punished by their cruelty. He added as the banging came to a stop and the creatures fled out the door again. But, but your children starve. Your, your town does. I can tell just from your wife and your children that they need to have food and they won't make it through the winter. I argued. He pursed his lips, obviously not wanting to reveal another nasty detail of the story, but I wasn't having it. This madness had to stop. Who is in charge of this village? We should round up all the men and find these things and kill them. I told them both. And risk their wrath? Possibly kill even more innocent lives? You are an outsider. Do not attempt to dictate how we live. Jonah snapped back as he slammed his fist on the table. The whole kitchen got quiet as he cleared his throat and added, The snow has become heavy this year, and therefore our sacrifices will be greater. The elders of our village have chosen to throw a festival to the spirits of the earth which watch over us tomorrow. And once we finish this ritual, the demons will leave us alone. I saw the wife's face get pale as something unspoken was left out of the conversation, but I decided not to press the matter any further. I was sure the rest of this small village would likely follow the same strange rituals as these folk, and I was considering simply leaving. That opportunity never came, though. During the night, the little creatures came back, this time more numerous than ever, clattering against doors and snarling against the windows. The children cried themselves to sleep, and I could hardly close my eyes for fear of them simply entering the house and doing whatever they pleased with me. I kept a knife that I had hidden away under my pillow that night as the monsters roamed freely, determined to escape the nightmare the next day. 
but I was so exhausted from the ordeal. I don't recall much about the morning except Jonah rising and telling the children to dress as though they were attending a Sunday sermon. You will be joining us as well. It will be safer than remaining here, the wife explained. I saw genuine concern for my well-being in her eyes, so I decided not to question. I was actually a bit curious to see what sort of ritual the town folk might perform that would appease these creatures. So I followed them down the snow-covered roads toward the main marketplace. The rest of St. Lapaldi was just as quaint and simple as I had expected. A testimonial to their refusal to connect to the modern world. I wondered as we got close to the town square if this was because of the creatures or something else. I saw villagers in their homes and businesses peeking out, all dressed in their Sunday best or some kind of colorful costume that reminded me of Santa's elves. As we approached the center of town, I soon realized why they all seemed to be shaking in their boots. There was a massive stone statue there of a giantess carved in the finest rock this side of the main coast and surrounding her I saw artistic representations of the twelve demonic children I had seen over the course of the last few nights. The entire square had been shoveled free of snow for a platform to be built around the statue, along with long tall torches and metallic iron cages that lined the corners of the square. In three of those cages, I saw people naked and shaking from the cold of the elements, screaming to be let loose, even as the leaders of the small village calmed the crowd. Brother Jonah, have you brought our final sacrifice? The fruit of the country? One man asked. I have, my lord. He stands before you now. Jonah responded. Then I suddenly realized my role in this festival. I was not invited as a guest. These people were about to sacrifice me to this massive stone edifice. As soon as the realization hit me, I tried to run, but Jonah pushed me down to the gravel and shoved his boot into my chest. It's better if you don't fight it, stranger. Your presence here was a blessing from our giants. To prevent my family from losing anyone, the Lord of the Snow gave us you, he explained. Several burly men tied me with ropes and placed me in a cage to the right as the elders continued to make a speech, passing out bowls and other utensils to the crowd. Brothers, sisters, our harvest has drawn to a close. The shadow of snowfall is overcast and the spirits of the earth must be appeased. Let us pray now to them that our township remains under their watchful eyes. Let us ask them for forgiveness for walking on their land. The entire crowd began to chant and moan and bow before the statues as several men lit the cages on fire starting to my left. I desperately looked toward the husband and wife for some kind of help, knowing I would soon be engulfed if they didn't act. Great Grela, Lady of the Hills and Devourer of Flesh, Wife to our sleeping saint and mother to the thirteen demons. Come forth and feast upon these sinful children of men. Let their flesh atone for our year of waste. Our forgiveness be upon their deaths. I heard something shake and rumble and saw that the stone statue seemed to be moving on its own suddenly taking life as the entire town shrieked and trembled. The giantess grumbled and reached down, crushing the first cage with her strong hand as she snarled loudly. Her children came to life next, snickering and snarling into the crowd as they attacked random townspeople. The elder chanted that they would be allowed to feast on any that they pleased. 
I knew I was to be the next meal for this cult of mad followers, and I begged the family that had let me stay with them for help. But they were so aghast with the ceremony, they paid me no heed. I crouched down as the giantess crushed the top of the cage, giving me mere seconds to run. I leapt from the trap and raced across the snow, the older men of the town shouting to hunt me down. I did not stop for anything, bolting from the town and towards the woods, hiding in the tall grass as the demonic children continued to attack all the villagers that they pleased. I could not stop to reflect on this hellish nightmare as I gathered my strength and kept running into the night until my power failed me. When I woke, I was on the road again, covered in blood and mud and snow. A passing car asking if I needed aid. I saw I had made it all the way back to the crossroads, and I thanked them for help, barely able to crawl into the back seat. As I got my rest, I asked them where they were headed, hardly even considering their response important at first. Where are we going? The driver checked his GPS, the instrument glitching as he admitted. I'm a bit lost. I was considering going toward the township for some help. I grabbed the back of the car seat, my wide and frantic eyes pleading that he didn't. No, you mustn't go there. Just just keep driving. Even if it's all night, stay away from that dreadful town. As he turned around the vehicle to go the other way, I heard the howling of a cat off in the woods and shivered in panic. Snow was coming down harder than ever as we left. Now... I could only hope that we made it far away from this madness before another nightmare took shape. I hope you enjoyed The Town That Dreaded Snowfall, as written by Kyle Harrison and voiced by Jesse Cornett, Melissa Exelberth, and myself. To find more of author Kyle Harrison, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison, spelled H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. If you enjoyed Mr. Cornett's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, as well as on the No Sleep podcast, where you can hear his vocal performances as well as production. Melissa Exelberth's vocal performances and talent can be found on our Simply Scary Podcast Network, as well as on her website, melissaexelberth.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-E-X-E-L-B-E-R-T-H.com. Be sure to let them know you heard them here. You won't be sorry that you did. And as for me, I'll be here for you every Monday. If you check them out, be sure to give them a thumbs up and leave a kind word whenever possible. And tell them you heard them here right on this program. It means a lot to us. Up next, we've got a special treat for you as written by Nick Carlson and performed by Jordan Lester, Melissa Medina, Heather Thomas, and Nick Goroff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Now, without further ado, I present to you a most special delivery. Although stress and chaos are the natural order at a hospital, few things serve to rattle doctors and nurses more than death. The cold, procedural actions undertaken before, during, and after a passing contrast heavily with the unrestrained drama surrounding the patient and their families. No matter the circumstances, there never seems to be a clean, perfect death. There's always questions about what could have been done differently, whether or not the patient had the will to live. What would become of the relatives, now that one of their beloved had stepped over to the dark plane of non-living, never to look back? Few people, however, consider the polar opposite, even though it very often serves to be just as affecting. Ignoring the trauma and physical toll labor imparts on a mother, childbirth is often accompanied by its own raucous spectacles. Arguments over who gets to see the baby and who doesn't, fights between the two fathers over whose child it really is, not to mention the entanglement of troubles befallen on a teenage or unwed mother and those around her, if there's anyone at all. Childbirth may be beautiful, but as any farmer would tell you, one cannot bear fruit without some bad spots. The maternity ward, therefore, was the last place Rita Park wanted to be on Christmas Eve. But with all the other OBGYNs out of town for the holidays, and the hospital understaffed as it was, she just had to suck it up, rub the sleep from her eyes, and drive the twenty miles down the dark, empty streets at 10pm to get back to work. Thankfully, upon her arrival, there were only two patients in the maternity ward. Gabriella had been Rita's patient since the news of her pregnancy broke back in March. She was a sweet girl of 25, nervous but determined to see her own way through. She was also a single mother. Her partner Damien, nicknamed D-Bag during their many appointments, had dumped her and skipped town the morning after she emerged from the bathroom with a positive test. Her parents, supportive and loving as they were, could not be there to attend their daughter's labor. She had no other immediate family either. Rita almost wished D-Bag could be in the room, despite his non-commitment. No expectant mother ought to be alone and in labor on Christmas Eve. Rita smiled at her as she assessed her condition. Everything's going smoothly, she reassured her. You're in good hands, Gabrielle. Just relax and, and let the process play out, okay? Remember, it's all natural. The young woman gave a nod and a wan smile, taking a soothing breath. I have to step out of the room for a moment, Rita explained further. Just shout if you need me, okay? She hadn't yet seen her second patient for the night, but when she walked down the hallway and into the ward's other occupied room, she was slammed by a semi-truck of recognition. Miss Rita, the woman proclaimed. Haven't seen you in a hot while. Has your heart wandered away from church's good graces? Maureen Delaney was, in the most polite terms, the town kook. An unwed shut-in who only emerged to prostrate herself in the foremost pews at church whenever the spirit moved her. She was also notorious for her vow of abstinence, having never pursued a man in her life or given the few potential suitors who approached her the tiniest bit of credence. So Rita found herself rightfully confused upon seeing the woman's laden abdomen rising up from under the sheets. Uh, Miss Delaney, (laughs) Rita said in a small voice as she entered the room. I didn't know you were pregnant. And I didn't know you worked here, Maureen said with a smile. Goes to show how much has changed since you stopped coming to Mass. Rita had to conceal her grimace as she leaned forward to assess Maureen. She could have sworn self-righteousness was a sin, but engaging in theological debates with someone like Maureen was a fate worse than death to her. It was true, Rita hadn't been going back to church in recent years, but that didn't change what was really pressing on her mind. So, did you end up marrying after all? She asked. Maureen was pushing well into her forties. Relatively late to marry. Definitely late to start having children. No, ma'am. 
Maureen said, almost proudly. Well then, who's the father? Maureen smiled. Oh, sweetheart. Nobody. Rita did a double take. (laughs) Excuse me? I'm as pure and unspoiled as the day I was born, Miss Rita, she said. Never gave my virginity to any man. Never even teased my carnal desires. And just look at me now, ripe with child. A virgin birth, due on the 25th. You're cloudy with the faith, but I'm sure even you know the significance of that. Rita's lips parted and closed again. If she wasn't lying about not being with a man or receiving any artificial procedures, the only other logical explanation was phantom pregnancy. But Maureen had indeed begun dilating, which never happened in pseudosiesis. The Lord is coming swift upon us, Maureen decreed in a breathy voice. And when he takes his first steps through this wicked world, pray and hold fast. For it might be all you'll have time to do. Rita turned and exited the room, a mite too briskly to hide her unease. She had to have been lying, or crazy. A coincidence, a medical anomaly. She returned to Gabriella to find her face contorted in pain, trembling hands over her stomach. Contraction? Said Rita, barely batting an eye. I think so. Gabriella gasped, huffing and puffing air. Who? Who's the other lady down the hall? Some nutcase I knew from church a few years back. Rita replied lowly, examining her again. She's claiming she got pregnant through divine intervention. (laughs) Divine intervention, Gabriella parroted. Wait. Tomorrow's Christmas, isn't it? Coincidence, I'm sure, said Rita. She's the last person I'd expect to carry the second coming of Jesus in her womb. She added, rolling her eyes. You're doing great. I'd say another hour or so before active labor, okay? Thank you, Gabriella said, closing her eyes as if wishing to do nothing more than simply drift off. Rita offered another smile before stepping out. The more she approached Maureen's room, the heavier some invisible shadow of dread seemed to blanket across her. She tried her best to adopt her professional facade as she entered the room. I hear you whispering with that scarlet girl across the way. Maureen sneered as Rita resumed examination. You doubt the coming of our savior? Uh, Not necessarily, no. Rita replied, still stony-faced. Just, uh, you. (laughs) Well, if your ears refuse to believe, try your eyes, said Maureen, holding out her hands. Rita glanced up and nearly shouted. Glaringly prominent on the woman's palms were twin walnut-sized sores, a patch of inflamed red capped with single black heads. And if you care to look, Missy, you'll find the exact same sores on my feet, she boasted. Rita hunched over her open palms, eyebrows scrunched. Maureen shook her head. They appeared about a month ago. And since you can't seem to find the word for it, I'll fill you in. Stigmata. The crucifixion wounds that Jesus Christ endured. Rita looked over at her. She still couldn't believe it. Not a damn word. But there was one more discrepancy she had to address. Okay, you've dilated six centimeters. She observed. Are are you feeling any pain? Maureen cocked her head and stared. Does this face look like it's in pain, dear? Rita took a subconscious step back. Maureen seemed to wallow in Rita's discomfort. Suddenly, the frail, heavily pregnant woman sprawled on a hospital bed, elicited a bizarre, airy dread unlike anything she had known before. Mary never felt labor pains either, Maureen assured as Rita exited the room. Seems like my body is a most worthy vessel, wouldn't you say? Rita felt like she was walking through smog as she made her way back to Gabriella. Her head was foggy. Her throat constricted, the edges of her eyes stung. It was incongruous, flying in the face of everything she knew and was trained for. Rita, I think my water broke, said Gabriella as Rita entered the room. Rita went for a check. Uh, Yeah, it definitely has, she confirmed. The active labor stage is soon to follow. The contractions will become more frequent and intense. Okay, Gabriella breathed, eyes scrunched shut. God, I can't. I can't do this. 
You can, you can and you will, Rita promised. Breathe in, gather up all that tension and blow it out of your mouth, okay? Let it go. Gabriella relaxed, seeming to sink into her mattress as she exhaled. There we go, said Rita. I'm going to stick around for a while, so I'll be right here if you need me. So, Jesus Lady is doing fine? Gabriella asked. Rita sighed. I don't know. She's actively dilating, yet she claims to not feel pain. Just like the Virgin Mary, said Gabriella. Rita gave a wince. Yes, just like her. They both went silent for a moment. Gabriella seized up again, racked with another contraction. Oh, fuck, she hissed. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Ah. Uh, Temporary, Rita said calmly. Remember, it's temporary. You'll get past it. Just just think of your child. Do, Do you have children, Rita? Gabriella asked. She shook her head. No, I can't say why I never went that route. I just... it didn't happen. Gabriella nodded, but she didn't seem reassured as she tensed and breathed past the pain. Rita sighed again, her hand drifting through thin air. She wanted something to hold on to. Another person's hand, preferably, something to give her comfort, an anchor to reality. Jesus lady frightened her, definitely, but the poor lonely girl, racked with labor pains strewn before her, wasn't helping. Excuse me she said, stepping out into the hall. Just shout if you need me. Out in the hallway, it was nothing but sterile fluorescent lighting and the stark, sanitated walls that stretched on in both directions. Only the muffled beeps of machinery and the buzz of electricity kept the space from becoming a vacuum. There were no footsteps, no other voices besides the occasional labor pang. Rita checked her watch, seeing it was now 11 o'clock. Barely an hour until Christmas, one of the holiest days of the year, and she was spending it alone and torn between two separate worlds of misery and trouble. Even if she got through tonight without a hitch, this Christmas was going to be unusually bleak. She didn't know how long she had drifted off, but the sounds of screaming brought her back to Earth. She bolted towards the source of the noise, against her expectations, into Maureen Delaney's room. Her mouth was agape, eyes wide, arms and legs spread like a Vertuvian woman, the sores on her palms in full view, but her lips were stretched into a smile, and her screaming had devolved into shrieking laughter. You faithless harlot, Maureen spat. See revelation unfold before you. Rita's first instinct was to check down below, but a flash of red higher up stopped her. Blood was blooming underneath the white sheets emanating from Maureen's side. Oh shit, Rita cursed, throwing the sheets back. The left side of Maureen's gown bore a blood-sloped slit that revealed the lesion in her engorged abdomen, disconcertingly similar to a stab wound. What happened? What what did you do? Rita shouted, scrambling for a medical kit. This was God's hand, Maureen cried with glee. The wound Christ endured after he died on the cross. Enough of this, Rita blurted, pulling Maureen's gown back. Blood spilled from her like a leaky hose as Rita wiped it away and ready to gauze patch. The blood suddenly took on a desaturated quality, and soon two streams of liquid were pouring from Maureen, one red, the other clear as crystal. Rita's first crazed thought was amniotic fluid, but the wound wasn't deep enough to have punctured any organs. Pus? She guessed next, but there was no sign of infection either. It was odorless and cool to the touch, almost like water. Gushing from my side, Maureen sobbed, wearing a tear-stricken smile. Just like a crucified Lord. Oh, praise God. I praise you. I am eternally at your hand. Rita applied the gauze, stemming the flow, and drew her pager. I I need a doctor in here right now, she bellowed out into the hallway. But the very air seemed to absorb her plea, rendering her voiceless beyond the lonesome ward. To hell with your doctors, Maureen sneered. Get yourself a priest. Shut the fuck up, Rita snapped. Temper, temper, Maureen mocked. Might want to cleanse your tongue before you confess to our lord. Fresh screams erupted from down the hall, belonging to a younger woman. Shit, Rita cursed, setting another gauze patch before rushing into the hallway. Anyone, room 222, right now, she yelled down the soundless hall. She ran into Gabriella's room, 
The girl was heaving with agonizing breaths, bunches of sheets clenched in her fists. It hurts. It hurts too much, she cried, her eyes wet and shiny. Okay, okay. Breathe deep breaths, said Rita. You're at eight centimeters. Everything's going as it should, okay? I can't do this, said Gabriella. No, I can't. You can and you will, said Rita. Relax, release the tension from your face, deep breaths, it'll be okay, I promise. How the fuck would you know? Gabriella fired back. You've never been through this in your life! Gabriella, relax and breathe, please, said Rita, her composure beginning to crack. Gabriella emitted a painful cry and spasmed. D- do you want an epidural? Rita then offered. Anything? Gabriella pleaded, sweat and tears gleaming on her red face. Rita whipped out her pager and sent out a message. Epidural, room 221, stat. Okay, the anesthesiologist will be here shortly, Rita told her. Why can't you do it? Gabriella demanded. I'm not authorized to administer one, Rita answered through gritted teeth. Please hurry, Gabriella moaned, her eyes closing. Another strangled yell emitted from Maureen's room. God help me, I'm losing my mind, Rita thought as she scrambled to the other woman's room. Maureen was sitting up and grinning broadly once more, and Rita thought the woman's hair was damp and sweaty and plastered down her face, until it smeared and dripped, and she realized with horror it was blood, trailing down in ruby ribbons down the sides of her head. Wrapped with thorns, Maureen proclaimed, the thorns that crowned our beloved's head. Maureen, lay back, Rita shouted as she rushed for another roll of gauze. As she approached the woman, she saw the wound in her side was flowing freely again, blood and water seeping past the soggy gauze. Rita applied a fresh patch, wiping away the congealing slick staining Maureen's skin and sheets, and went to wrap gauze around her head. At this, Maureen reached out and grasped Rita's wrists. No more, Maureen rasped. I am festering with stigmata. Can't you see that, you silly girl? Let my wounds bleed. Let this sacred pain consume me. Maybe I won't just deliver him. Maybe I'll become him. Our infant Lord will repossess me after his birth and take my body and soul for his own. Enough! Rita snapped, throwing Maureen's hands off her, hands that still bore the same ugly punctures. She held down Maureen's body as she applied a strip of gauze across Maureen's wounds and tied it off. God will remember how you attempted to gild his doings, Maureen snarled. Where the fuck are the doctors? Rita silently cried. Gabriella's upwelling screams tugged at her mind like a ravaging dog. Shoot me. Rita choked as she rushed out to attend to her other patient. Gabriella resembled a bloated carcass, grimy and moist with perspiration and tears. Rita confirmed she had nearly fully dilated. The pain would be over soon, All the suffering would be worth it. Where's the epidural? Gabriella breathed, too exhausted to speak up. I I don't know, said Rita. She reached forth and grasped Gabriella's sweaty palm. You've got this. It's almost over. You'll get past this. I'm sorry, Gabriella wheezed. For everything. Shh. It's, It's okay, sweetheart. It's all okay, said Rita, now squeezing with both hands. It's horrible. It hurts. I'll give up anything to make it stop, she gasped. If only the goddamn epidural would get here, Rita pleaded. But she was certain of it this time. She was alone in the ward. The floor, perhaps the entire hospital. Her desperate messages and cries for help had met only empty, uncaring air. As time trickled on, her thoughts crowded by Gabriella's agony and Maureen's ghastly jubilation, Rita prayed. If the second coming of God were truly upon them, and he would come to dispense justice upon the world from this one lonely maternity ward in middle America, she prayed that at least Gabriella would be saved. Gabriella and her child, especially her child, whom she prayed would grow up happy and healthy with a mother who loved him. Oh God, I think, I think it's coming, Gabriella finally said. Uh, yes, yes, the baby's crowning, Rita confirmed after dipping down to check. Breathe. Breathe. Now, one, two, three, push! Gabriella obeyed, forcing herself past the pain. Rita exhaled with relief. She almost forgot about the imminent rapture down the hall. No. 
No. No! Maureen's voice, this time throttled with sheer terror, scared Rita more than anything else had that night. Rita sighed with resolve. I'm sorry, she said to Gabriella, before leaving her to run to Maureen. The woman was covered with blood, kicking her stomach, her face and head, her wounds bleeding past the gauze. But Maureen was gazing at her palms, evidently horrified at her stigmata sores. What is this? She shrieked, holding them out to Rita. Fix them! Get them out! Rita nearly gagged. The wounds had opened up. Things, little insect-like things, were crawling around in the concoction of pus and blood and frayed skin. Underneath the bunched-up sheets by her feet, more bugs were crawling about, having just emerged from the sores down there, too. Plague! Evil! Maureen screamed, and Rita then caught a glimpse of what was crowning between Maureen's legs. It was no baby. (sighs) No, Rita said in a small voice. The insects took flight, black and blue blowflies sprouting from Maureen's palms and feet like a fountain, buffeting through the air in a living tornado. The lights flickered, strobing like a rave, and Rita fled, leaving the flies, the carnage, Maureen's screams behind. And it was fear, fear that made her run, abandoning the woman to the mercy of whatever had corrupted her. The lights were still strobing as Rita returned to Gabriella. Push! Rita urged. Push! Let's end this! Gabriella screamed and pushed. Once more, screamed and pushed. And again, once more... And the baby came forth into the world. A boy, Rita said, a smile breaking on her face. It's a boy. Donning a pair of gloves, she got to work clamping and severing the cord and wrapping him up in a blanket. But as she took a closer look at him, something was wrong. He wasn't making any sound. No crying. No coughing up. He wasn't even moving. Rita set her fingertip on the infant's forearm, feeling for a pulse. Despite her frantic state of mind, she could detect something. The minute beating of a tiny heart. She nearly passed out from relief. But what was wrong with him? Where is he? Gabriella croaked, too weak to lift her head. Is everything all right? Before Rita could reply, a new voice entered the void. It was a curdling, gurgling, impertinent tone dripping with salaciousness that seemed to come both from Maureen's room and inside Rita's mind. I thank you for playing along, you prideful bitch. And from Maureen's room came one final deathly bellow, the bellow of a dying woman, a sound of tragedy and betrayal that sputtered off into rattling chokes, then... Silence. Who... Who was that? Gabriella moaned. Take him, Rita said, handing off the bundle to her. She blinked against the flickering lights, trying to steady her head. Then, all pretense of instinctive self-preservation gone, she treaded out into the hallway. The beast met her there. Superficially, it did indeed resemble Jesus, but its skin was gone, revealing only pulsating, blood-soaked muscle the piercing red of raw beef. Its hair was a tangle of black, thorny brambles that crawled down its back, sticking into its flesh at odd angles. Its eyes were blank white, like marble, yet still staring down at Rita, seeing her and much, much more with full clarity. And I thank you for assisting in my delivery, it said. Its toothy mouth moved, and Rita heard its voices again, one from the beast, one in her head. The word came to Rita's lips, ridiculous as it sounded, but she somehow knew there was no better substitute. Antichrist. Perceptive, aren't you? It jeered. Now, there is my brother. My other half. Your body? Rita whimpered. The vessel I pumped into that fornicator. It snapped so that I may grow and walk among the people as a man. Bring me to him. Rita understood. The truth slid down her throat and sat putrescently in her gut. She shook her head. No. Some loose organs lodged in the beast's throat shuddered with what could have been a sigh. Impertinence will get you nowhere. 
It flicked his hand, and Rita's skull became grasped in a psychic fist, squeezing her and forcing her to the ground. Immobilized, she could only watch as the Antichrist took loping, leaking steps past her and inside Gabriella's room. No! Rita choked, crawling towards it. Not after all this! Damien? Gabriella's voice said. Damien! You came! You came back! Yes, it crooned. Now, let me see our son. Guess you're not so much of a D-bag after all, she replied. No! Rita called out, knowing full well that whatever Gabriella was seeing and hearing wasn't real, wasn't the reality behind all that had happened tonight. She rounded the doorway, still unable to stand. She saw the beast standing over the bedridden woman, the comatose infant in its hands. No! Rita blubbered again, lunging at the beast's ankle. Her fingers dug into its flesh. It was like a burning gelatin that squished and rotted in her grasp. The beast kicked her away. It lifted the lifeless child into the air, as if holding it to the light. Then its lipless jaw opened, wide like a snake, and it lowered the baby down its gullet. Rita's vision blackened, unable, unwilling to process what had just happened before her mortal eyes. You've seen too much, the Antichrist whispered. You fulfilled your purpose. This world has no more place for you now. You can join Marine Delaney. A red, veiny palm reached down over Rita's face, and everything went dark. It had been the most traumatic experience of her life. The heartbreak of Damien leaving her the day she announced she was pregnant had been horrible, too, but the pain Gabriella had felt from that came from just a sore chest and tightened throat. All that had happened to her today, she wouldn't have wished it upon her worst enemy. In the end, however, it was worth it. Her infant son stirred in her arms, his little face pressed against her chest, tiny fingers grasping feebly at nothing. He coughed up some congested fluid, but Gabriella didn't care. He was beautiful. She had seen newborn babies before this, and at first she was repulsed if she was being honest. To her, they resembled more alien monkeys than anything with an ounce of actual human genes. Yet he seemed... full. More developed than those other newborns. His face was truly adorable. His skin was satin smooth. He even had hair. Thin black hair that seemed perfectly combed down his scalp. And as he opened his mouth to yawn, Gabriella swore she saw budding teeth in his gums. Strange. She thought teeth didn't come in until much later. The room was quiet. Hell, the entire hospital seemed quiet. She looked around, wondering where her nurse had gone. What was her name? Ruth? But it was the clock hanging on the wall that caught her attention next. The time was 2.34 a.m., December 25th. Just like she had been secretly, giddily hoping in her heart, her child had been born on Christmas. Merry Christmas, little one, she whispered down to him. The baby looked up at her, and Gabriella could only wonder what was really going on behind those infant eyes. I hope you enjoyed a most special holiday delivery as written by Nick Carlson and voiced by Jordan Lester, Melissa Medina, Heather Thomas, and Nick Goroff. To find more of author Nick Carlson, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Carlson, spelled C-A-R-L-S-O-N, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight. Wish you a spooky holiday and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark.
Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.